Good morning. Yeah, let's praise Jesus. Put your hands together. Great to see you guys. Take your Bible and open it with me to the book of Joshua. We are continuing our series, Strong and Courageous. I am excited about your faith being strengthened today. And as a result, your mind being renewed, your heart being transformed, and you experiencing breakthroughs in your life. So we are continuing with our series, and now we are in Joshua chapter 2. And what's interesting about Joshua chapter 2 is that the first verse of the chapter is a stark contrast to something that happened 40 years ago. And then the last verse of the chapter is another stark contrast to an event that occurred 40 years ago. So let's begin Joshua chapter 2 is we learn to have strong and courageous faith so mountains can move in our life by looking at these two contrasts in the first verse and the last verse of chapter 2 that jar our mind back 40 years ago. Let's, from this point. So let's pick up with the the first contrast. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, it means he didn't have a mom or dad, No, I'm just kidding. That person's name was none. It was a little pastor joke. I had to throw it in there to see just how awake you guys were. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Do you guys know what the contrast is? Was your mind jarred back 40 years prior to this point? When Moses and the Israelites were at... um, Kadesh Barnea, and they were at the borderland from the wilderness into Canaan land, from the wilderness into the promised land, and Moses sent 12 spies into the land to survey it. But this is an extreme contrast, because the two spies, 40 years later, after, after the entire previous generation has died off, these two spies, unlike the 12 spies from 40 years earlier, were not a, an indecisive, deliberating committee that was walking in to test the thermometer of the environment, as a thermometer to test the environment, to decide what they were going to do. These two spies, sent by Joshua, were not a deliberating committee, they were a decisive commission. And there is no doubt that Joshua was steering very clear of his predecessor Moses' mistake in being indecisive as to whether or not they were actually going to walk in obedience to God's will and enter into the promised land. So there's no doubt that Joshua was extremely selective in handpicking these two spies because Joshua and Caleb were of the 12 spies from 40 years earlier, and they were the only two that said, let's take this land, and the other ten spies were filled with fear and dread, and they contaminated the entire lot and the entire nation of Israel, and as a result, wandered in the wilderness. So make no mistake about it, these two spies, unlike the twelve spies from forty years ago, were not a deliberating committee, they were a decisive commission. And they weren't deciding what they were going to do. They knew exactly what they were going to do. They were preparing for war because they were about to take their promised land. It was simply a matter of how they were going to go about it first. These two spies were the Navy SEALs of the ancient Hebrew army. They were were co-op. They were gathering intel. 
And they came back and they gave their report three days later to Joshua. That leads us to verse 24. The second contrast from 40 years earlier. And we read, when they came back from their mission of co-op, of gathering intel from this spy mission, verse 24, they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You see the second contrast? Forty years earlier, when the, de- when the deliberating, debilitating, indecisive committee returned, the entire nation was filled with dread. But when these two spies, this decisive commission, returned from gathering their intel, it, wasn't, it was not the Israelites that were filled with dread. It was the land that they were about to conquer that was filled with dread. And the Israelites were filled with inspiration. So what happened in these three days from verse 1 and verse 22? The two spies had a very unlikely, God-ordained encounter with somebody who would become a deliverer of her own people, of her own family in the land of Canaan. They had an unlikely God-ordained encounter with somebody who God would raise up for 3,500 years to this day as an icon of what it is to have faith, who would be mentioned again three times in the New Testament. Somebody that God handpicked to bring hope to countless millions over countless generations. And you would think that if God were to handpick somebody like this, as an icon of faith, to bring glory to him, deliverance to people, salvation to a nation, that they're going to have a special title, like king, or president, or senator, or MD, or doctor, or MD, masters of divinity, or they're going to have a PhD of theology. They're going to have some impressive title associated with their name. Well, this instrument of salvation and deliverance and this icon of faith did have a title, but it wasn't the title that you might expect. Her name was Rahab. Her title, she was a harlot. That's right. She was a prostitute, a very unlikely hero. And we're going to see just how low God is willing to reach to display his grace and to show off his restoring and redemptive power in somebody's life. And so in our time together, let's look at four characteristics of Rahab the prostitute. And so now let's pick up the second half of verse 1 in chapter 2. And we read, The two spies go into the land of Canaan. Their target is the city of Jericho. In the promised land that the Israelites are going to conquer, there are many city-states. There are cities with their own autonomous government and their own rule and reign and armies and kings. And their first target was the city of Jericho. You can do some research on it. Archaeology today corroborates that Israel indeed took a city named Jericho and the walls, spoiler alert, fell exactly as scriptures say that they fell. Jericho is the oldest city on earth, or it's thought to be the oldest city in all the earth, situated immediately opposite the plains of Moab, just six miles north of the Dead Sea. 
Jericho controlled an important trade route running through the length of the Jordan Valley as well as access into the hill country of Canaan from the east. Jericho is fed by a spring at the foot of the city which still flows today at a rate of 1,000 gallons per minute. This region of Jericho is truly an oasis in the midst of the arid Jordan Valley. So there is strategic reason that Joshua and his military leaders targeted Jericho as their first, um, as their first target as they are entering into the promised land. So it's not a matter of are we going to go in and are we going to fight. The decision is made. God told us what to do. This intel is just to simply help us glean the best wisdom in how to go about it. They knew what they were going to do, but what is the best way to go about it? So let's pick up. The two spies slip incognito into this city. They are trying to stay as inconspicuous as possible. No doubt they have long robes. No doubt they have hoods up over their robes. No doubt they're trying to walk in the shadows. They're trying to walk with the crowds. They're trying not to talk too much so that their accents do not give them away. And in this particular setting, they slipped in to the most inconspicuous location that they could find where all night long people, men, would be coming and going. What kind of place would that be? A harlot's house. So they round up at the home of Rahab. And our story picks up. They went in and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Right here, we know a handful of things about Rahab. She is a Canaanite. She was raised by pagan parents in a pagan community to worship a pagan god. She lives in Jericho. Her name itself is a descriptor of her upbringing. Her name is Rahab, Ray, the Egyptian sun god Ray. Her parents worshiped the sun. That's how she was raised, worshiping uh, the, the, the sun who could never hear her, never act on her behalf. She is a pagan to the core, and her profession is indicative of that. She is a prostitute. And now we're going to learn that this prostitute had more faith in the God named Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, than the entire generation with Moses that perished in the wilderness. And we're going to look at four ingredients to this prostitute's faith. The first ingredient is this. She had a conviction in God. This is the first ingredient of her faith. It was not wavering. It was not indecisive. She had a definite conviction in God. And so let's read about this conviction that she had. Chapter 2, let's skip ahead, and let's look at verses 8 through 11. We pick up verse 8. Before the men lay down on the roof, we're going to see that she was hiding them. We'll see why in a second. They did not have relations with her. She slept downstairs. They were on the roof. They were Joshua's best. They were soldiers. They were focused. They were on mission. They were gathering intel. They were on the roof. She was downstairs. She came upstairs. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to them, listen to her conviction, her conviction that God is who he says that he is. She is unwaveringly, unequivocally sure of who God is. Let's read about it. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us all, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens. He is God above the heavens and on the earth beneath. Her faith was filled with conviction. She was sure. This Canaanite prostitute in the city of Jericho named Rahab was sure of who the true living God is. Why? Because her assuredness, her certainty was based upon God's history. Her certainty was based upon God's history. For example, if you know my dad, you know he's probably the most dependable, reliable person you will ever meet in your entire life. I mean, just a little case in point about my dad, he doesn't just have his car keys, but he has an extra set at home in case something happened, if he ever lost his keys, which he never would, but if something like that did happen, he not only has an extra set at home, and he also has a set, let's keep this between us, in the magnet box, you know, underneath the car there on the frame. All of his decisions are that well thought out. All of his decisions are are that thoughtful. And all that to say, if my dad says he's going to do something, you can be certain he's going to do it. If my dad says he's going to be somewhere at 5.45 a.m., you don't have to stress about it. He's going to be there. It is absolutely certain. Why? Because his entire life's history testifies to his character that you know is reliable. Inversely, there are people I know who say they're going to be there at 6 p.m., and I just better go on and start working on plan B. Because based upon their history, you know that they're not going to show up at all. Her conviction of who God is, is based upon history. She was certain because she had an understanding of God's actions, informed those understanding of his past actions, informed her present convictions. Her faith was sure because it was based upon God's history. And we can be convinced of who God is because God is consistent. We can be certain of how God is going to act today because of how God acted yesterday. He did it then, so we can be certain He's going to do it again. He did it then again and again and again, so we can be certain He's going to do it today again and again and again. Her faith was informed by God's history, by God's actions. So it really wasn't faith altogether because she heard what God did and she knows God's unchanging and she knows that he's going to do it again. And she knows that she's on the losing side. So this is just one characteristic of her faith. She had a conviction. She was sure. Because her certainty certainty was informed by God's history. And if it were a period, then Rahab the prostitute would have been destroyed by God's people with the entire city of Jericho. But it's not a period, it's a comma. And likewise, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Our faith doesn't have to be unsure, uncertain. God did it then, he'll do it again and again. God gave us the word, not as uh, simply history lessons to know how he related to his people then, but as object lessons so that we know how he desperately desires to relate to us today. Our faith should be fueled with conviction based upon God's history. But the Bible tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. So if our faith begins with the conviction of who God is and how he's going to act, and it's a period, then, like the demons, we don't have a saving faith. But for Rahab, it's not a period, it's a comma. Her faith moves into an intellectual, historical faith into a personal, saving faith. Did you guys see the contrast? If it just ended here with a conviction, she's going down with Jericho. But it's not a period, it's a comma. So she moves from this intellectual, historical faith into a personal, saving faith. In other words, her faith moved from being convinced to being committed. From a conviction of who God is to action on her part today. He did it for them, he's going to do it for me. Let's read about this in verses 1 through 7. Verse 2, the men are in the prostitute's house. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Did you see what's happening? Their accents gave them the way. They, uh, they, they didn't look as inconspicuous as they were trying to look. So they slipped into the prostitute's house. And some people noticed it, and they had discernment. And they were uh, in, in their own right wise. So they reported it to the king of Jericho. And before you know it, the king's men are walking in. They're barging into the prostitute's door. And they say, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But watch this. It's not just a historical faith in God. It's a personal faith. He did it for them. I believe that he's going to do it for me. It's not just conviction. It's action. She's not just convinced that God is the God of all, but she is committed, and she is committing her own life. She's not just sure God is who he says he is. She surrenders her life to him. In other words, she trades sides. She goes from being a citizen of Jericho to being a citizen of God. Let's continue to read. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. This is her act of faith. Not just her faith, but her act of faith. She hid the two spies and said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. She lied. This is war. This is espionage. This is military intel. This is not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, which is love. She hid God's men. She is protecting God's agenda. Verse 5. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. And she said, I don't know where they went. I don't know where they were from. I don't know where they went. She lies again. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But in reality, she took them up on the roof and hid them among the stalks of flax or dried out wheat that's baking in the sun. 
They're laid in order, and the men are laying still underneath these stalks of flax. Verse 7. So the men from Jericho go out, storm out on their horses, pursuing after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut behind them as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So she surrendered to God. At this point, she commits treason to the city of Jericho, but she signs up for the city of God. And I believe that this is a commentary on what separates true Christianity from false Christianity today. True Christianity totally surrenders. We switch sides. We surrender. We're no longer a citizen of this world. We live for the citizenship of heaven. We no longer live for the comforts and the conveniences of the American dream. We no longer live to please ourselves. We no longer live as slaves to sin. But we switch sides. We sign up. We're citizens of heaven, and our behavior is informed and influenced by our beliefs. There's a transformation. We don't just have conviction, we have a transformation. And we believe that God is who He says that He is, and that belief fuels transformation in our life. Rahab didn't ride both sides of the fence. She didn't speak from both sides of the aisle. She put all of her eggs in one basket, as the saying goes. She abandoned her city and placed full confidence in God's glory and in God's army. And so as Rahab is lifted up as an icon of our faith, ask yourself, does your faith have these characteristics so far? Is your faith convinced God is who he says he is? Informed by God's history. And not only that, does that conviction influence your actions so that you are not a citizen or trying to be a citizen of two kingdoms, the kingdom of glory and the kingdom of earth, but have you surrendered to the kingdom of glory and you are living unequivocally focused for the glory of Christ, the hope of the world, salvation of souls, and the edification of the body of Christ? Or are you trying to ride two fences? Or are you placing full confidence in God? Are you simply sure or are you sure and surrendered? Are you simply convinced or are you convinced and committed? Do you simply have conviction or do you have conviction and action? Do you simply have beliefs or do you have beliefs and behavior? Do you simply have faith or are you following Christ? She had conviction. She was sure. She had action. She was surrendered. And the third characteristic, she had compassion. And she shared the promise for salvation that she receives with her loved ones. Let's pick up with our story in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. So she lies. The pursuers blaze out of the city at night on horseback. They close the city gates behind them. The two spies are on the roof. And she walks up, and she sees an opportunity, and she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver them out of our, and deliver our lives from death. You see what's happening here? She says, these lives of men, these men's lives are in my hands, and they know it. 
and she understands because war is about to happen and she knows that God is with Israel, that her life is in their hands. So they're both in a very vulnerable situation and they both realize our lives are in each other's hands. Making it through this night alive depends upon trusting one another. And so she uses this as leverage and as a bargaining chip with the two spies, but not just for herself, for her entire household. Did you see that? She's not just trying to save herself. She's trying to save her loved ones. Her faith not only has conviction and her faith not only has action, but her faith has compassion. And she is negotiating with these two men, and she's bargaining not only for her own life, but she's bargaining for the life of her entire family. She's bringing as many loved ones under the fold of the promise of salvation from deliverance as she possibly can. Let's read this negotiation again. Verse 12, swear to me by the Lord. As I have dealt kindly with you, you will deal kindly with my father's house. She's being inclusive. She's sharing this salvation. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them. There's no telling how many men that this prostitute has been with. It's interesting that she doesn't have any children yet. That's relevant for later. But she's gathering together the entire household of of, of her loved ones into this promise of salvation. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you don't tell this business of ours, then the Lord, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I believe that if Rahab the prostitute were alive in the 40s in Germany during the Nazi or the, the Jewish Holocaust... She would have done whatever she had to do to hide as many Jews as she could because that's what she's doing here. I believe that if Rahab the prostitute were alive during the Civil War, she would have been shrewd and bartered at every opportunity to give um, harbor and to smuggle as many slaves across the borders from the south and to the north as possible. And in the same way, If she were alive today, and if she were part of our church family, there is no doubt in my mind that she would bring many, as many people, as many loved ones as she possibly could into her household of faith to save them from the impeding, the impending destruction of suicide, addiction, destruction, despair, bitterness, sin, death. This is how she behaved in. This is how she would behave in this culture. She would gather as many loved ones together into her household of faith to save them from the impending destruction of sin and death. And this was a sign that her faith was real. There was conviction. There was action. But not only that, there was compassion. She was sure, she was surrendered, but not only that, she was sharing this promise of salvation that the Lord had given her with all of the loved ones that she could bring into her household. So let's just continue to measure our faith with Rahab's faith. Do you have conviction? Do you have action? And do you have 
compassion? Are you gathering loved ones into your household of faith? If you don't have that kind of drive and if you don't have that kind of compassion in your faith, you have to wonder whether there's any action and therefore whether there's any conviction in your faith at all. We are called as followers of Christ to gather as many loved ones under the roof of our household of faith. How do we do this? We share our faith. We share our testimonies. We invite friends to Christ. We were having our young adult Bible study this past Thursday night at Americado. It's really been awesome to see it grow and to see uh, the community gel and to see people uh, growing in their faith. And uh, we were at Americado, and there was somebody sitting by themselves at the bar area, and Karen said to Dakota, or she said to the group, somebody ought to go and invite that guy to join our Bible study, and Dakota went, and, he, and then the next thing you know, Dakota and this guy come back, and then they join the group. In a day and age when depression is rampant, when suicide is rampant, when drug addiction is rampant, when immorality is rampant, when there's, there's religious and spiritual confusion, when there's hopelessness, when there's despair, we should be proactive. And see and seize opportunity to bring anyone and everyone into our household of faith. Do you have that sort of compassion? Do you have that sort of conviction that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? If you have conviction that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, you will have action. And that action will break your heart with compassion. And you will be proactively inclusive at seeing and seizing opportunities to bring people into our household of faith. This isn't just preaching. This is real stuff. Let's live it. Let's be proactive. Let's be aggressive. Fourth characteristic of her faith. And this is when it gets really exciting. She had covenant relation in her faith. She had conviction. She had action. She had compassion. But not only that, she had covenant relation in her faith. A covenant is a contract. It's a deal. And a covenant is signed. And God chooses creative ways throughout his history with people to write up contracts and assign them. Let's read about their covenant relation. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. If you recall, she's living in the walls of Jericho, and she lets them down by a rope, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, where the pursuers will encounter you. Again, she's not playing both sides of the aisle here. She is all in for God's kingdom. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. And that's when they go to catch up with Joshua. Verse 17. Then the mid said to her, and they both just want a little reassurance as their lives are in one another's hands, that they're both going to keep their end of the bargain. And so, um, the mid said to her in verse 17, we will be guiltless with this respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear to. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord, scarlet, crimson, burgundy. The color is blood red. You shall tie this scarlet cord, sort of a long scarf, 
You shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and your brother's household, and your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within you in your house, his, his blood will be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. You better believe this is the first thing that she does. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So they had an agreement. They struck a deal. They had a contract. The language was very specific. They didn't write it on paper and as we do today, sign it with ink. But the signature, the sign, reminding and reassuring that they had this agreement was a scarlet cord tied from the window. God has a long history of making contracts, entering into agreements with his people in which God has never backed out on his contract. And God always signs his contract, and he does it creatively with not a signature on a piece of paper, but with a sign. For example, God made a contract with Noah after the flood, and he said, never again will I cause a worldwide destruction through flood across the entire world again. This is my covenant I'm making. This is my contract I am agreeing to. And for your assurance, I'm going to sign it. And the signature was a rainbow. And so if there was ever a night and it was storming and the floodwaters were rising and people began growing fearful that an entire flood is going to walk, is going to wipe out the entire world, all they would have to do is look into the skies and see a rainbow, and that rainbow was God's signature reminding them that he had entered into a covenant contract and he would not destroy the world again through flood. In the same way, on the eve of the Passover... Some 40 years before this particular event, the spirit of death on this dark, gloomy night, the darkness was so thick that not even a dog was barking out of fear. As the spirit of death hovered over the entire land, the firstborn male child from a litter of puppies to human beings, whether they're an infant or whether they're a grown man, the firstborn male child is going to drop dead as death hovers over the land on the 10th plague on Egypt. But this is God's contract. This is God's covenant. And God says, wherever this signature, wherever you sign your, your home, for your home, with the blood of the lamb smeared across the doorpost, then I am going to pass over, thus the pass over. And then you and your family will be spared. And can you imagine a Hebrew family huddled together in their room and thick darkness is over the entire land and you can hear screaming and yells and moaning and crying and you hear the screams growing closer as family members are dropping dead as death begins to hover to to draw closer to your house and you think are people in our house going to be killed are people in our house going to die Is, is there going to be terror and tragedy visiting our house tonight and then they look at the blood that's smeared across the doorpost and they have peace they have the assurance we're going to live tonight assuredly the death would pass over them and they lived because the contract was made and the signature was signed the blood of the lamb across the doorpost and we know 
that the promise and the blood of the Lamb were not isolated events, but everything in Scripture is Christ. All of Scripture is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. And it was monumental because the spirit of sin and death is sweeping over not just the Hebrews or the Egyptians on the 10th plague, but the law of sin and death applies to every man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever lived. This is a covenant. But then the new covenant says there is a promise that we're the blood of the lamb, not a, not, not a sheep that was a metaphor to the lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. Wherever the blood of, lamb, Je- of, the, wherever the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, is spread over the doorpost of your heart by placing your faith in Christ, then sin and death will pass over and you will be spared and you will be free. And don't you know that as the Israelites were gathering outside of the city of Jericho and everybody inside was seized with fear because they knew that God was with Israel and their city was about to go down and there was about to be destruction, Rahab had assembled into her house every loved one and she just said, stay here, please stay here. And as the battle ensued, She would look at the scarlet cord and that would give her peace that we're safe because that was the sign of the covenant that she made. And that is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a picture that when sorrows like sea billows roll in your life, when the enemy comes against you like a flood, when you have failed God yet again, When you wonder if there's any way that you're going to experience deliverance, when you have fear and anxiety and you wonder if there's truly a way, when you look behind you and wonder if the best days are in the past, and you wonder if all things really will work together for the good, we are in a new covenant and there is a sign and it's not a scarlet cord and it's not a lamb's blood over a doorpost it is the scarlet blood of jesus christ on the cross and so we plead the blood that christ shed his blood to forgive us christ shed his blood to make us righteous he shed his blood to make us his own children and if he treated us that way when we were cities of jericho when we were at enmity with him how will he treat us now that we're forgiven and and righteous in the family of god and delighted in by god filled with the holy spirit so that we can plead the blood we can think of the cross we can think of christ's blood that was shed and we know that god will deliver us we know that we're heaven bound we know that the best is yet to come when voices begin shouting satan's accusation lies at us who are you to pray who are you to think that god could love you who are you to be bold who are you to worship uh with with your whole heart who are you to share your testimony who are you to share uh and to, to serve in ministry how could god still love you how could your church family ever accept you your family would be so ashamed we look at the sign of the new covenant the blood of christ and we plead the blood and we know that we belong to him and we know that he covers us and we know that we are in the household of god and we know that the best is yet to come in our lives and so rahab's faith had these four remarkable 
characteristics. There was conviction, therefore she was sure. There was action, she was surrendered. There was compassion, and she shared her faith with her loved ones and the promise of salvation. And she didn't have fear. She was able to rest because there was covenant relation and there was a sign. And that was the scarlet cord. And so we place our faith in the scarlet blood of Jesus and our covenant relation with Jesus Christ. And what's so remarkable about this is that this Jewish to the core community. When they destroyed the city, they took Rahab in and they esteemed her greatly because of this faith. But not only that, God responded to this faith with these four characteristics with absolute salvation, physical salvation from the destruction of Jericho, but not only that, spiritual salvation from sin and death as she got saved through this event. Just as we're saved today, she was saved then. Just as Abram was saved in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believing, looking ahead at Jesus Christ on the cross. So she was saved through the scarlet cord in this contract, looking ahead to the cross of Jesus Christ. We read about her again in Hebrews chapter 11, that incredible hall of faith where she is, I mean, this is like the NFL hall of fame, right? This is the, this is Yahweh's hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, when we read about Abram and Abraham and Sarah and Samson and Gideon and David, we read right there about Rahab whose faith was counted to her as righteousness because her faith was working in conjunction with action. We also see her show up again, not only in Hebrews chapter 30, 11, 31 in the New Testament, but also in James chapter 2, verse 25, when James is making the point that faith without works is dead. Consider Rahab the prostitute who had saving faith because it, that saving faith was verified by her actions. But most importantly of all, as again, spoiler alert, as the Israelites destroyed Jericho and they saved Rahab's entire household, and then Rahab left the life of prostitution behind her. She never had a kid after all those men she was with. And then we read that as she's now traveling with the Israelites and Hebrew tradition has it, by the way, that Rahab was one of the foremost beautiful women in the history of the world. And this Canaanite former prostitute and her family is now living amongst and traveling with the Israelites as they now are beginning to settle in the promised land. And we read in Matthew chapter 1, and let's read about it, and Salmon. Who is this guy named Salmon? Well, there's only really one other verse to give us an indicator of his life, and it's in the Old Testament, of course, and we realize that this guy named Salmon from the tribe of Judah 
settled a town called Bethlehem. So this guy named Solomon was obviously a leader. He was obviously well-resourced. He was obviously an entrepreneur. And he went in and he actually started and settled an entire community that would later be called the town of Bethlehem. He's obviously a very influential Hebrew of Hebrews. And one day he notices this former Canaanite prostitute named Rahab and he marries her. And they had a child together, and their child's name was Boaz. Sound familiar? One day, Boaz was walking in the fields of Bethlehem, and he sees a Gentile, a Moabite, named Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth have a child, and that child's name is Obed. Obed has a child. His name is Jesse. Jesse has a child. His name is David the king from the tribe of Judah. And we can continue to track David's lineage all the way up to Jesus, who was born right here in this town of Bethlehem. So this story of Rahab shows us just how far God is willing to reach into the depths to restore somebody who will place their faith in the scarlet cord, the blood of Christ. And he will save them spiritually completely but not only that he will redeem them he will restore them and he will work all things together for a conclusion that you would never dare to ask or imagine you know that man didn't write this stuff because if this stuff were written by men i promise you if this were written by men that the jewish rabbis would have omitted the story about rahab and they certainly would have omitted salmon marrying rahab and they certainly would have omitted uh, boaz marrying ruth this stuff is written by god jesus wanted us to know that in his lineage is a prostitute because this is an anthem, this is a declaration of what true faith looks like, but not only that, to the totality of God's saving, redeeming, restoring power when somebody turns to him with faith. So our faith in Christ ought to have conviction. It ought to have action. Don't try to ride two sides of the fence. Surrender. We are not citizens of this world. Our faith ought to have compassion. If there is action, if there is conviction in our faith, it will have compassion and it will be inclusive and we will bring as many loved ones into the household of faith and the promise of salvation from sin, death, suicide, addiction, desperation, despair, wickedness, and bitterness. And our faith is certain because it has a covenant relation. It is a contract, an agreement that God makes with us. I will forgive you. I will redeem you. I will save you. I will bless you. I will restore you. And if you ever start to wonder whether or not that is true, look at the signature. God signed the contract. It is his blood on the cross of Christ. And we can plead the blood and walk with boldness and joy knowing the best is yet to come because God will work all things together for the good. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we pray for strong and courageous faith in Jesus' name. We pray that nobody here would leave the same. We pray that if there's any uncertainty in our faith rather than conviction, that would be resolved this morning. We pray that if our faith is like the demons, we believe, but there's no action to back it up, that that would change as well. And our 
our, our conviction would influence our actions. Our beliefs would inform our behavior. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that our faith would manifest itself with compassion so that everyone everywhere in our lives comes into the household of faith believing in the promise of salvation. And we praise you for this covenant relation that you've signed with the blood of Christ, promising that we are yours, we are forgiven, we are righteous in Christ, we are filled with the Spirit, we are heaven-bound, we are called and chosen, we are en route to a miracle, Uh, you are with us, you are for us, you are our deliverer, you are making all things work together for the good, for an unspeakable, uh, praiseworthy conclusion that exceeds anything we could dare ask or imagine. And when we ever grow fearful, when we ever have anxiety, when we ever start to doubt, when we ever start to fear, we'll look at your signature, the blood of the Christ, and the blood of Christ, and we will rest assured, praise you for this covenant that you've signed with the blood of Christ. And if there's anybody in here who has never entered into this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ by placing your faith in his signature, the cross on the Christ, to redeem you, to forgive you, to bless you, to clothe you in righteousness, to promise you the assurance of heaven, you can do that right now. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray that now. God, I know that I've sinned. Pray it out loud. God, I know I've sinned. And I'm a city of Jericho. I'm born into this world. But I believe that you came to save me. And there's a sign, the blood of Jesus, that promises you will forgive me. And I will be heaven bound. And I'll be your child. And you'll be with me and for me. So Jesus, you are my savior. And take over my life. I trust in you. Now help me to grow in this relationship with you. You know, Rahab had faith, but it wasn't a period, it was a comma. She had faith in Yahweh, therefore, she gave safe passage to the spies. It was faith working in conjunction with action. We have faith in the cross, and that saves us. But in order to bring heaven down into our lives, we've got to have action. And it proves our faith is real, and we have action. And through the action, we bring heaven and the power of heaven into our lives. We have faith in the cross. It's not period. It's a comma. And the rest of the sentence, the very first thing after that comma is, therefore, follow Jesus in baptism. That's your first action. So we'll be having a baptism celebration coming up soon. And Talk to me about that. If you've never followed Jesus in baptism, indicate it on your connect card and put it in a box back there. Just talk to me about it. But let's respond with worship and surrender your whole heart to Christ. Entrust the mountains that are blocking your path to Christ. Believe he's going to move the mountains. Believe he's going to deliver you. Believe he's going to set you free. Believe he's going to make all things work together for the good. He promises that. And he signs it. The blood of Christ. As we worship plead the blood. And after we worship, then Cassie will dismiss us. Let's worship. <laughs>